0: Welcome to Business as an Adventure, a podcast dedicated to improving the businesses and lives of creative entrepreneurs.
1: Together, we interview high-performing entrepreneurs and creatives from all over the world, explore what makes them and their business unique,
0: and along the way, we uncover their secrets to help you craft your own adventure in the world of business. All right. So our guest today is Daniel Kudish, who together with his wife, Davina, were two of the most dynamic photographers in the wedding industry. On a personal note, Davina and Daniel were my wife and I's first photography crush when we first started shooting weddings. And when we got to meet them at a conference, I might have got a little drunk and gushed at Daniel and Davina at a bar too much. But since then, uh, Daniel and his wife have gone on to form Grace Barrow Studios, which was a widely successful associate photographer studio based out of Montreal. And in 2014, they started the Image Salon, which is, in my opinion, the most well regarded image editing and processing company in the photography industry today. Now, Daniel, along with Davina and their kids, Max and Charlie, spend their time living on a beautiful lake outside of Montreal, dreaming up new things for the future. His wife just released a children's book, which I think went number one on Amazon, which is crazy. He's one of my favorite people in the world, and I'm so glad that you are here this morning. And uh, thanks for joining the conversation.
2: Thanks, Dave. That, was, that made me feel very nice. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. You're one of my favorite people, too, to Kissy. No, oh, thanks. I want to just dive
0: right in completely crazy and to say, what has COVID been like as a business owner who supports an industry that is essentially shut down right now?
2: Mm. Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> like we <we're> like...
1: <laughs> He said he was going to dive in. Here we go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's been a roller coaster, like on an emotional level, like I've gone through all of it. I went from, you know, I think the first two weeks, you know, when, when things started here in North America, it was... Back in March, I, I was very anxious and stressed and kind of worried about the, the state of the industry and what was going to happen. But at the same time, I think there was like a bit of a sense of unity amongst everyone. And everyone going through the same thing just, I don't want to say made it more normal, but kind of made it a little bit easier to process emotionally. You kind of forced to relinquish control, you know, a lot faster because it was really beyond any, any of our control. So once we got over the initial anxiety, we, you know, put our heads down and went to work on marketing strategies on, you know, trying to support photographers in any way we could fight our own revenue shooting down to almost zero. We have a lot of people uh, that work here. We have uh, a lot of resources. So we felt like we, we could accomplish something even during that downtime. So for us, we, yeah, we launched a YouTube channel. We launched a podcast. We relaunched our blog. Uh, later on in the spring, we did a conference to raise money for charity, which worked out pretty well. And then, you know, as we were focused on not the, the core of our business, which is editing images, things sort of started coming back to life gradually and slowly. And they still are today. It's it, We're still not recovered, but we're on the right track for things to move in the right direction. Mm-hmm.
0: So what was the decision behind Photographers Unite, Um, why did you want to create that? It was it was an amazing event, Uh, considering nothing like that had ever really been done, in my opinion, that that I've seen you guys pulled it off pretty seamlessly.
2: Yeah, it was multifaceted. I mean, for one, trying to just better the community around us has always been part of our mission at at the image salon. Yeah, so, so that was kind of like one part. The second part is from being in the photo industry for over 12 years now we have a good network and we can reach out to almost any photographer and you know ask them for a favor or you know just ask them to participate in something and we've never really tapped into it Uh, you know we never had the need to and for this when the idea came to put on a conference and bring everybody together uh we brought you know the the network aspect and we brought the charity aspect and we just merged the two and managed to pull off you know this big event i'm proud of it because. You know, we had over 30 industry leading speakers, uh, we had over 30 sponsors, we had over 5,000 photographers sign up and watch this and we raised $24,000 for charity, all of that without like investing a single penny, like we didn't pay the speakers because it was for charity, uh, the sponsors didn't have to pay, all we asked for them was to help us spread the word, and the attendees didn't have to make a donation, it was optional. And so th- there's no real money exchanged yet. We all exchange all this information. Everybody got something out of it. And it was mutually beneficial for everyone involved. Uh, so it was a good exercise in just showing that money isn't everything. And, you know, we can do good without it.
1: In a time of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually a route that people aren't, aren't really thinking about, right? That money is them. I know, right yeah.
2: It, it, was, it was just like a very heartwarming experience to go through collectively at the photo industry.
0: Yeah, it was it was unreal. When I when I saw the speaker line up, I was just like, Well, it was it was a testament to what you and Davina have done over the years to just be able to have that many amazing photographers without a hesitation, without getting paid, just say, Yeah, absolutely, I'm on board.
2: Yeah. I think it's more of a testament to this industry and like the you know, the people that may make it up. You know, sometimes to like our accountants or lawyers, we explain how the photo industry is and they just don't understand how you can go to, a, you know, a conference and immediately bond with, you know, any photographer just over the love of photography. And I've always found it to be a beautiful thing. And that was just a, an example of that as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've had three very successful businesses in the last 12 years in the photography industry.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Talk me through the process of going from photographer to successful wedding and travel photographer to associate studio, which I think for a a while was the model that everybody was looking at, and then launching Image Salon. What was that process like? Did you have a a business background, or was it just you just want to try things out and see how they went?
2: No. So, I mean, as a kid growing up, my dad was always self-employed. Can't say that he was the most successful entrepreneur, but as a kid, you're not necessarily aware of your parents' success. I just remember waking up in the morning and hearing my dad hustling on the phone, you know, making sales calls and, you know, talking to clients and going on business trips. And, you know, it, it just, I think, planted this seed in me that, and then when time came for me to run a business, it, it, everything just kind of came very naturally. As for my own evolution or our evolution, being and uh, as entrepreneurs, it's always been very organic. We've never really planned anything, you know, with you know, more than the, the the medium term in front of us. We don't have like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or like this vision, like let's build all these businesses in the phone industry. You know, I went to photography school because my dad, you know, was into photography. So that was organic for me. Graduating from school, I assisted a wedding photographer, even though I didn't want to do any kind of wedding photography, I thought it was very cheesy and traditional at the time. That was like back in 2006. And then I came across the Wedding Photojournalist Association and I saw the work of Ben Chrisman and Wei Nguyen and David Murray and all these photojournalists were, you know, getting into wedding photography. And I just fell in love with that style. I thought it was so much more interesting than, you know, your cheesy, you know, posed picture. (laughs) And so I decided to try it out. I assisted the photographer I was uh, working for. Funny enough, I was doing his post-production back in 2006. So it kind of ties in nicely with the Image Salon later on. So, so I assisted him and uh, he let me use the images for my portfolio, which was very gracious of him. And from there, I started photography business. And at the same time, I met Davina, who was finishing up journalism school. And so it, it kind of made sense for us to start working together. She was really into photography as a medium, as a way to document things and yeah, using it in her journalism program. Uh, so we started shooting together almost just as our relationship formed. And after shooting a lot of weddings in Montreal, we, because of our candid style, which wasn't very popular in Montreal back then, uh, we shot 55 weddings in 2008, uh, 83 weddings in 2009. Oh, at which point, you know, we were like 20, 21, 22, or we babies. And so we had all the energy. We would shoot every single wedding. We would do triple headers. So shoot Friday, shoot Saturday, shoot Sunday deliver all three weddings by the Friday. So we have like crazy systems for ourselves, but it was just the two of us. Like we just shot and worked, you know, all the time. Like (laughs) there's, there wasn't much thought to it. I just Um, got
1: anxiety. Just kidding.
2: My biggest (laughs)
0: season ever was 36 weddings and that was hard. I can't imagine 83.
1: Well, this last fall I did a, I did a triple header and I, the, the closest I can describe it as brain melting by the time I got to that third wedding. Yeah. And at the end of the night, it shut down. I just sat on the floor and just stared. I was just staring off into the distance. One of the vendors came over and was like, are you, are you okay? I'm like, I, I just, I can't even think. I can't make sentences. Oh, for <laughs> so sure. I that you're doing that all the time?
2: Yeah, a lot. And so we would actually, sorry, I, I said we would shoot all of these together. But we would actually split up for for a good bunch of them, but we had a lot that we did shoot together. And in shooting those weddings together, we realized the ones that we enjoyed the most were the ones where we were really shooting together and working on ideas together. And it really made our best work. So at the end of 2009, we said, you know what, let's let go of our assistance. Let's stop shooting weddings separately and just rebrand as Davina Plus Daniel with a different studio name back then. And focus on doing the best work that we can because that's clearly what we enjoy. So we, we got to learn that from those two crazy years of way too many weddings. Uh, so in 2010, we went down to 40 weddings, way more reasonable. <laughs> a yeah, still a lot. Yeah, still a lot. And, you know, the quality of our work started going up because we started slowing down. We started raising a lo- raising our prices. We started enjoying it a lot more. Like we didn't have to do triple headers anymore, just doubles. Uh, <laughs> So things started moving in the right direction. Um, at the end of that year, we also really, really wanted to travel. Uh, it was something that was, you know, deep rooted in both of us. And we really wanted to see the world. And we we're seeing how a lot of photographers, especially the ones that we idolized, were traveling for weddings. And so we kind of put that as a goal for ourselves. And once we put it down as a goal, every decision we made in the business really started to align with that goal. So an inquiry for a wedding in Toronto or Quebec City, you know, both places which are very close to us, a wedding in Boston. We were all over those inquiries because we just wanted to get out of Montreal. We wanted to photograph them and we wanted to put it on our blog so that people start thinking of us as photographers who travel. So, you know, the wedding in Boston, in Toronto and Quebec suddenly became a wedding in Vancouver or a wedding in California. Or a wedding in the Caribbean, which a lot of people in North America do, and then those weddings slowly became a wedding in Europe and a wedding in Asia. And you know, it, it took us a long time. It wasn't like oh, all of a sudden in two thousand eleven, we're destination wedding photographers. It's, I think twenty sixteen or seventeen was like the first year that we only did destination weddings. So it it was a long road that you know started with just ten percent travel, then thirty percent travel, then fifty percent travel, and slowly got to a place where uh, we only traveled
0: was grace sparrow an answer to all of the montreal inquiries that you were getting
2: exactly so because we had networked so much in montreal and we had built a brand in in this city we were still getting a lot of inquiries and at first in 2010 when we just wanted to travel we were saying no to every single inquiry and sending it out to our friends or competition however, however you want to look at it uh, But we were just aware of how much we were saying no to business so in two, at the end of 2010 2011 we said, hey, how about we start a studio that's going to shoot 80 weddings, but this time, instead of shooting it all ourselves, we're going to hire a studio manager, we're going to hire a post-production team, and we'll see where this is going, and manage this business as a business instead of you know running around like crazy chickens. Ourselves.
0: Do you think that's why... Because the associate model is something that I think almost every photographer who gets really busy tries, but... I would say 99% of people fail at that. Do you think the decision of running it as a business is what allowed you to be successful for so long?
2: I think so. Yeah. I, have, I don't have a full point of reference because it's the only way that, you know, I've ever known things to be. Yeah. So it's hard to compare, but we definitely did put a lot of business thought into it, trusted our gut instincts along the way, hired good people. We think, you know, many of them are, we're still friends with or work at the image salon now. So yeah. I think treating it as a business is definitely key. And I, you know, a lot of photographers are great artists, but not necessarily the best business people. Uh, you know, you need, you need both uh, in order to be successful.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and something that you and I have talked about before, and I've talked about this with Davina as well, is that you guys love process and love systems. And if a system doesn't exist, you create one for it. If you, if you come across a new task. And I think that's something that probably served you guys well in those times.
2: Oh, absolutely. We were extremely organized in the way we did things. You know, everything was thought out as, it was a machine. Like, you know, after a couple of years, we were pretty hands-off, Devin and I. Our studio manager knew how to do everything. There were systems in place. Everything was always delivered on time. Photographs were captured the way they were supposed to. Like, everything just, you know, flowed.
0: Where Where do you think that concept of building systems, is it just in your both of your personalities, or is that something that grew over time?
2: It's it's more in my personality, and Davina actually was just reading about uh, spiritual types, and the, I forget the, the exact term, uh, but there is a type that loves, you know, processes, and as a kid will play a lot with Legos, that was me, and loves to cook today, which is also me, you know, I just love steps, like I, my brain thinks that way, and I just need them <laughs> to live and to do work. So, yeah, it it was very natural and instant. Yeah.
1: So then with your uh, Gray Sparrow studio, do you really feel that that laid the foundation for transitioning into Image Salon, getting all the systems and everything in place?
2: It did, for sure. And it gave us the team of retouchers, uh, you know, to do the actual work, uh, which... Uh, you know, whiskey. Once uh, a few friends of ours, you know, inquired whether we could take on their post production. We didn't have to think about hiring people; we already had the team in place. So again, it was a very organic transition. Uh, you know, to start this new business.
1: Well, I've been through. Um, so I use the image salon in my business, or I did when I was shooting weddings. <laughs> thanks, COVID. <laughs> But you know, I, I've been through the the onboarding process, and I was really impressed with the system that you guys had created for that. I remember um, the gal who onboarded me. I, I pulled up some photos, and <laughs> you know, we were talking about different editing styles, and she's like, "Oh, well, this indoor photo's edited way different than this other indoor photo. Um, let me let me show you the difference." And so then here's somebody who's not, you know, like who's never edited for me. She's just part of the onboarding process, and she's showing me some of the different sliders and is this more the look you're going for? Or is it this more the look you're going for? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I like, I like them both. So I was really impressed with that whole process of walking through the editing process and then working with someone talking through how I wanted the images to look. So I could definitely tell that you guys really have your systems in place for that.
2: Yeah. But again, like the onboarding isn't something that we had. You know, from day one, I think it came around year three. So we went a couple of years. Uh, at first it was, you know, we'll, we'll just do samples. Then we did bigger test runs. that we did no test runs. We really experimented with everything, trying to figure out the best way to, to welcome new clients and to adapt to their style. And I think it was Davina, I don't think, I know it was Davina's idea. Uh, you know, what if we did onboarding calls and did them in person and spend more time? But I, we thought the end result would be a lot better. So we tried it and it, it has stuck ever since like it, it is you know a core part of our business uh, today and we've expanded on those calls we do find my style calls which are available to photographers even if they're not clients uh, so someone who's just kind of lost in the sea of presets and different styles out there and doesn't know what they want for their own images uh, they can just come to us and schedule a call and they don't have to pay anything they don't have to place any orders we'll just spend some time with them and you know, our, our marketing purpose, because it, it doesn't need to have one, I think, to some extent, is hopefully someday if they do need to outsource to someone, they'll think of us uh, because they will have had a good experience and they'll come back on out of their own will. You know, we're not going to bombard them with discount codes and emails and all those things. There's no point in forcing a relationship if they're not ready for
1: it. As a new photographer, I would have loved that surface.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it took us like six years to find our style. <laughs> we could have just had someone be like like this or like that. That would be so much easier. <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't think we'll decipher you, but we'll help you decipher You know what you like or don't. Yeah, like. it just
0: shows you your photos in different styles because you may not know how to edit in that style or may not want to buy you know, six different presets or, or something like that to, to, to try them all out. Yeah. I know a lot of photographers who go through years, but I, I, I think... I mean, whenever I see threads on any photography forum where people are looking for outsourcing, I mean, the Image Salon is definitely the one that comes up the most. And I think that's a testament to how well you treat your clients and the relationships that you guys have with within the industry. Because... We've tried all sorts of different types of editors over the years, and I'm not gonna name and shame or anything else like that. But I think one of the things that we liked the most about Image Salon was you get a dedicated editor. You have that, I mean, when we came on board, it was with the onboarding process and everything else like that. And so it wasn't, you didn't have to retrain someone new every time you sent in images, which was a headache for us for years.
2: Yeah, and we went through that process too. We, we thought about sourcing you know, ourselves. because Grace Ferrer was too busy to take on our editing. And so we tried all, you know, all of our competitors today. And that was kind of the, the experience we had as well. It was very inconsistent and very impersonal. So when the time came for us to start Image Salon, we said, we're going to do this. We're going to hire locally. We're not going to outsource the editing further overseas in order to save money. Uh, we're going to hire artists who we can work closely with, uh, also kind of, you know, support our local community here, uh, which I think is important. And yeah, just put a lot of emphasis on quality and customer service, and the rest will come on its own. And it has, you know, we've we've barely done any marketing over the years.
1: I love the personal touch, too, with your dedicated editor. So my editor uh, was Shane before all this went down, and, um, you know, he was my editor for a few years, so... You know, like I got to know his voice over email. And then I remember one time we had some questions about some editing and I think he was sick. And he was just like, hey, I'm, I'm at home for a sick day, but I really want to talk to you about this. And so we Skyped from his home office and I was like, dude, you're sick. You don't have to do this. He's like, I want to meet my deadline. And I was like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that that is dedication.
2: That sounds like we put uh, a lot of pressure on the employees. that oh. we don't <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, I just feel like that's the kind of that's the kind of guy he was I really um I really enjoyed working with him
2: we do have the mentality of like going above and beyond for our clients you know doing what is expected of us is the baseline and as much as possible we try to go above that and yeah speaking to that do you, like I noticed you have a little bit of
0: like company culture written on the wall there but what was the process like deciding on building and growing a company culture with a a company that is you know most photographers are working in in, in ones or twos but some people have larger studios and i've talked to a few of them about like you know we try to get a a second shooter or an associate shooter who understands our culture but they don't necessarily know how to build that so what was that process like for for both Grace Barrow and image salon
2: i think it needs to be organic i don't know that you can force a culture down anyone's throat it's little things you know bit by bit day by day you just stick to your mission and your culture and people will notice it at different times in different ways but as long as you're consistent with it and the, the culture forms and i feel like it's stronger every day you know it's stronger today than it was three years ago and it will be stronger next year than it is today so mm-hmm. i don't have a tangible answer you know how to build culture but yeah i i, I do believe that consistency yeah,
0: I is key. I don't think there is a tangible answer, uh, you know, reading about Apple growing their culture or Google growing their culture. It was something that just, you know, the the founders have that culture already in them. That's the, those are the, that's the people that they are. And then if you have good hires and you maintain that, then it just grows over time. I don't think there's like a, a checklist for for doing that. Yeah. I was just curious if you had any insights. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I, I steal this question directly from Tim Ferriss because it's one of my favorite questions. But in the last 12 years do you have a a favorite failure of yours or a failure that you've learned from and that has helped
2: you move towards the future more probably but i can't think of one right now i've never been good at those types of questions like you know when you shoot weddings people love to ask you know what's the craziest wedding you've seen and <laughs> yeah, like I've never had a good answer for it. Like I know I've seen crazy shit, but like I've never, I, like I can't, I can rarely recall, you know, what those are. Uh,
0: well, to give you some time to think, as uh, uh, how do you process failure? Are you somebody that, like, are you are you risk adverse or do you like risk? Like, how as a business owner, how do you take chances? Yeah,
2: um, I think the teamwork between Davina and I, you know, plays a lot into it. Where I like the risk a little bit more than she does, and I can't take a risky decision without talking to her first and together we usually come out to some consensus that you know is right in the middle and is the right answer and makes a lot of sense uh so yeah for me it's always been sort of relying on each other to make those decisions has helped us fair enough fair enough
0: just stop me at any point in time if it comes up So this is another question that a lot of people have a hard time answering. So I'm going to change it slightly. The, the The standard question is, you know, what, what would you go back and tell yourself if you were starting today in, in business? Wait, hold on, I have I, think it. I, think I wrote, it it wrote it
2: down the other day. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, let All me right. let me pull it out. I know I've, I have it written down somewhere. I like I that, that it's
1: not committed it. to memory that you have actually like look it up.
2: I'm, I have <laughs> a terrible memory, so I have a note in Evernote.
0: What a great tool Evernote is
2: okay the, the the number one thing that I wrote would be to journal more you know to record like do audio recordings uh to save certain emails more just to like document the the adventure that is starting a business you know it is i think just like documenting things just so you can go back and look at things again i i I had a handwritten journal for a couple of years somewhere in the middle where it was just like my daily to dos and my ideas and all of that and I just love picking it up and going through it i you know, and sometimes ideas that I abandon are revived. I, I think documenting and journaling is the, the number one thing that I would do again. Probably the next business that I start, I hopefully I remember to do that. The
1: next business that you started, is there something in the works?
2: There's a couple of things in the works. <laughs> <laughs> not in the photo oh, industry, no. for once. Oh. Yeah. yeah, photography will play into it, but not in the same way.
0: What does what growth look like for you guys in the image salon? I mean, there's, there's, you can reach out to as many photographers as you possibly can and, and do editing like that, but has there been, have you looked in other directions within that business?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think technology's playing more and more of a role in, the photo, in photography in general. So we are exploring a lot of things uh, at that level. But more organically, I think just more stability, you know, for Image Salon, it's it's been a roller coaster, just as is every business. But I'd like to for it to get to a place where it's a lot more stable and everyone just feels, you know, a lot more secure. Not that we're always at the brink of like closing, but, you know, the, the it, it has its ups and downs. Um, so, yeah, fun, just having more stability where you really don't need to worry about anything uh, would be a really nice place to achieve.
1: I think a lot of mm-hmm. photographers are there right now.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this pandemic's, you know, exposing all of that. Yeah.
0: How do you, how do you cope with that uncertainty, like on a personal level?
2: Just like being present, you know, in the moment. I mean, Dave, you know, I'm on a spiritual journey, but yeah, just, you know, whenever like my anxious mind starts projecting negative thoughts about, you know, Things that could happen in six months or next year or whatever, I just try to bring myself back to right now. Like right now I'm talking to you guys and everything's fine and there's money in the bank account and people are working and, you know, there's no reason to be anxious. So not that there we shouldn't plan at all. I think, you know, there's healthy planning that, that comes out of some, a bit of anxiety, but at the same time, it shouldn't rule my day to day.
0: How did you get to that place? How did you learn that skill? Because there's a lot of anxiety out there right now. And, and you know, not necessarily mindfulness in general, but how did you get yourself to a place of, of working through your anxiety?
2: For me, it's really intertwined with like my personal journey. You know, I, I can't separate the two so much. Like my, my personal life affects my work life and my work life affects my personal life. Um, mm-hmm. So as I've made strides, you know, I, as a human being, to just be more present and better understand my emotions and my feelings and my thought processes, as a result, it has automatically, I think, made me a better entrepreneur as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any... um books or resources or podcasts or things like that, that you could recommend to people who are, are looking to work on themselves in that way. Cause I think for, for most entrepreneurs, our, our business life is tied to our personal life and they affect each
2: other. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, it shows, you know, when the pandemic hit and you lost a bunch of weddings, you got anxious on a personal level, which then spilled out into our personal worlds mm-hmm. the, yeah, there's two books and it's untethered soul by Michael Singer. And followed right after by a new Earth, uh, by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, just reading those completely changed the way that I see the world or see my my mind at work. And as a result, I'm way calmer at work, and I think I am kinder to myself and to our employees and and to our clients and everything. I just I just want to spread kindness, and you know, if that's at the core of of me, then it can be at the core of the business as well. Absolutely. Didn't
0: you guys, you have like a a neon sign in the office. I can't remember what it says.
2: I don't know if it'll show. Is it show? It's a little bit bright.
0: We can see it, but we can't read it.
2: (laughs) Uh, It says, uh, think about things differently. And the differently is upside down.
0: Yeah. Nice. I like that. Do you have a... I've been I've been fascinated not necessarily by the person, but how Mark Zuckerberg has a like a personal journey that he goes through every single year to like try to challenge himself or better himself. Is that something that you ascribe to, or is it just more of a flow and you just are where you are?
2: No, it's more of a flow. Just like these businesses, you know, it's been very organic. I got into photography because it was organic to me because my dad was into it. Started shooting weddings because something piqued my curiosity, so I got into it. Started traveling because Davina and I wanted to do that and. It was very natural to us. started Grace Sparrow because we had the demand, so that was organic. started the image long because there was a demand, and we had the team, so that was organic. yeah, I just you know go through things as they come up and trust that it's you know if you listen to the signs and you listen to the voices, then things just happen.
1: I think that also that requires a good amount of introspection as, well, as mm-hmm. well You have to be open enough you know you have to you have to review things after they've happened to see where the gaps are, where you can get better. I think reflection is something that people really don't um, invest a lot of time into, but it sounds like you guys do.
2: Okay. I'm glad you said that because now that brings me back to Dave's question about what I would do differently. It's not like one gigantic mistake, but just recognizing my flaws or my shortcomings uh, sooner. Uh, My main one is, you know, financial, like finances, like if. I understand them and you know, I know how much money we need to for the business to run and yada yada yada. I just don't like it, honestly. Like I just do not enjoy it. I know it's like a silly thing for an entrepreneur not to enjoy, but I just don't. Like I love photography, I love customer service, and I love processes. Like those are my three pillars that I run the image salon based on. And it's only been two and a half, almost three years, that we hired a CFO who handles all of the financial stuff. And that, you know, the, the time before that, it was full of anxiety over finances, over uncertainty of, am I doing the right thing? Should I do this spreadsheet or this spreadsheet? Should I put things this way or that way? And people needing answers from me. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm just figuring it out as I go. yeah, just understanding what my shortcomings are sooner in the business and then finding the right people to work with. So that we can balance each other.
1: I would argue that most entrepreneurs don't like the money side of things. Honestly, I think I think entrepreneurial people are more into ideas and how to make those ideas work, and less less about the money logistics of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know there are money people who are business minded, but they'll often need the idea person to kind of or the creative person to come and tag along, right. come up with the with the ideas.
0: Yeah absolutely that was that was our when, when we finally hired an accountant and a bookkeeper the amount of stress that took off my life was <laughs> astronomical so i want to roll back a little bit in time because i th- i see a lot of uh, especially wedding photographers see the transition of their career being i'm a wedding photographer and that's great and then i become an educator and that means i've made it the first time I met you guys, you were speaking at uh, the first Canada Photo Convention. You've had a Creative Live. How has being an educator in the photography industry changed your views on things, or or maybe changed your 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 direction that you were going to take?
2: Mm-hmm. I'm glad we did it. I think it was yeah, like you said, it's something that comes sort of as a obvious next step for a lot of photographers who start getting recognition in the industry. We didn't love it though. Like we didn't. Love being in front of a bunch of people and we were never seeking any kind of fame or anything. We just wanted to, to share our knowledge and I'm glad we did it. I miss it. I would say at a level zero at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How did it change us? Yeah, I think it was just like one of those things we needed to explore and to see it through and to better understand that, no, that, that wasn't the right path. I think it's a great path for, for some people. It just wasn't. For us, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I, I think I was talking to Davina last year, maybe, and she said she really felt like your your creative life was kind of like the swan song for your for your
2: photography career. Yeah, we just like put all of our knowledge into one class and we're like let's just put it all out there. Once we did it, we had first of all nothing else to share because we had shared everything, and you know at the same time put as much effort as we could ever put into an educational event and just put it all out, and it went great and. That was it. And then I ended up doing another creative life, like by myself a few months later. And it went horribly. And I think, you know, my, my heart was just not in it as much anymore. Was just, yeah, we had done it the right way. And I, I was trying to force things uh, by going back. Yeah. Hmm. Trust your gut. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's good, though, for for other photographers to hear is that education isn't necessarily like the top of the ladder, the end all be all. It's not for everybody. Cause I see a lot of people who've been in the industry a long time and they just think, well, the next thing has to be education, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm shooting the most amount of weddings I want to shoot a year. I have to find out some, figure out some way to diversify. And that's kind of what they come up with, but it's uh it's not a path that everyone, you know, will, will excel in.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So I have a question that I can't answer myself, but the two of you might be able to. Uh a close friend of mine is is he and his wife are are trying for kids. And so I was curious from your perspective, uh, Daniel, um and you feel free to pipe in as well. But I see so many photographers, you know, they grow up, they want to have kids, but then they stress about how that's going to impact their business, because especially in wedding photography, it's seasonal and and so many of us travel and, and do things like that. And what was that process like? Both personally and business-wise, for for you and Davina, when when Max came along, and then again when Charlie came along,
2: mm-hmm. I mean, we we our kids were planned. Uh, we always wanted to have a family, and yeah, again, we just kind of knew that we would figure things out, you know, as as they would happen. When at that point we were traveling a lot for weddings when Max was born, uh, so we just started taking Davina's sister with us on the road so she could watch Max. Well, we shot the weddings he came to i think 10 countries in his first year of life and i'm so glad he did i think it was it was good for his development even though he doesn't remember any of it it, it still i think shaped him in some way it must have so i'm glad we did that charlie traveled a lot less because at that point we were starting to not shooting as many weddings anymore we focused on image salon so she did not she didn't travel with us as much for weddings yeah but I think it has forced us to just find a nice harmony between our personal and work lives. And I, I don't think that having more time when you're not a parent is necessarily a good thing for your business. I don't know that sitting in front of your computer 40, 60, 80 hours a week is a good thing. Uh, and kids kind of force you to step away and be more efficient with the time that you do get to work. I work 20, 25 hours a week, but. I'm mighty efficient during that time, and the rest of the time I can still take care of myself on a personal level and be with my kids. I, I spend more time doing non-work stuff, yet I think I'm more productive today than I, than I was before we had kids. I don't know about Was that people.
1: a more organic way that that all came about, or did the pendulum swing too far in one direction and you were like, oh gosh, I need to step back? Oh, how did you find that balance?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. It definitely swung the the wrong way at first where, you know, I was, I don't want to say neglecting, that's a bit of a a strong word, but, you know, I wasn't as present in family life as, you know, I could have been in uh, 2016 when Charlie was born, uh, we were building a house. My father died three weeks before Charlie was born Then Charlie was born. Then we had to sell our house. So we were living with Davina's parents. Image salon was super busy because it was the fall. I just had a complete burnout. Like I, I was sick. My body and my head just kind of gave out under all the pressure. And I think that's, that was the pendulum swinging way too far the other way. And I think after that, I I really learned what I needed. And it wasn't like overnight all of a sudden I'm like, no, I need to do things this way. I kind of started working gradually back, back towards the other way. And now today I, I feel confident in saying that I have the right balance.
1: As a parent, it's really hard to find that, that balance. When you see the pendulum swinging too far on the side of work or maybe too far on the side of, oh, I need to buckle down and get some work done, how do you recenter yourself?
2: One important thing is to not look at things on like a daily basis or a weekly basis, maybe not even a monthly or yearly basis. You know, I, I don't need to work five hours and then spend five hours with my kids or You know, it doesn't need to be even parts all the time, I think. I like the word harmony a lot better. And I I saw that from someone else. But, you know, harmony means everything just kind of lives together. Whereas balance has this kind of like connotation of things needing to be like here instead of like like this. And that puts a lot of stress in and of itself. Like, oh, I got to make sure it's balanced because careful. That's stressful. That's stressful. Whereas harmony is just like this circle where everything just lives inside of it. And so I try to make sure that things are in harmony. And if for a week I need to buckle down and do work, that's cool. I'll sit down. I'll be happy to do it because I know that after I get all this stuff done, then I can go back to a more chill schedule and spend more time with the kids. Or if we go on vacation for two weeks and all this work accumulates, well, as long as I can balance things out, you know, later on at some point and they always do, uh, then everything, everything's fine.
1: I've never heard harmony versus balance before, and I think I might steal that from you. <laughs> yeah, please do. I'm always trying to find balance in my my personal life versus my my work life.
2: Balance is yes, stressful. You're right. Like, how yes. do you get balance? It's you're like right. uh, it's like you have a pick, you know, and like things are on it. Like that's
1: yeah. No, totally. That completely makes sense. And harmony is more like you're just at peace with your decisions. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. And then you know the other part, which is more recent for me, and I'm still learning to do this, is just be more present with. You know what it is that you're doing. Otherwise you're doing something, but you're stressing about the next thing. And then you're doing the next thing. You're, you're stressing about the previous thing, which you didn't do properly because you weren't really with it. So, you know, if I sit down to work, I'm present with the task I need to do and I just do it. And then if I'm present with the kids, I'm present with the kids. And I just, I just try to carry that with everything that I do. Am I always successful? Uh, No, but uh, it's a practice.
1: And how do you ensure that you are present? Is there something like you get rid of all distractions? If So what are distractions
2: for you? Distractions for me are like in my head where I start thinking about too many things and I start planning. Like it's really easy in the morning. I roll over to turn off my alarm. It's so easy. And I do this like, you know, five out of seven days. I pick up my phone, check my emails, think about what I need to do. By the time I'm brushing my teeth, forget it. My mind is already like it's gone. And you know, this morning is a good example. And it, for some reason, it's easier to do on Mondays. But I turned off my alarm. I left my phone there. I didn't touch it. I went to brush my teeth. went to my yoga mat, did 10 minutes of yoga, meditate for five minutes. Just that. And, like, and then I'm so much better. At that point, it was like 7 a.m. and kids weren't awake yet. I knew I had this one task I could complete in like 30 minutes by just focus time. So I went, sat down. Kids ended up sleeping until like 8.30. So I have an hour and a half to do it. So it was great. Sorry.
1: <laughs> can, you, can you tell me you tell me how you We this kept them up last boring. night. We kept them up last oh, night. Okay. <laughs> well, Meanwhile, like the sun is not up. Why are you awake?
2: <laughs> so yeah, so I just sat down at my desk and I was present with the task that I wanted to complete and honestly that task has been in my queue for weeks, you know. But the time never felt like the right moment to complete it until this morning I was like, nope. I can't. You know, I, and I wasn't thinking about it during yoga. I wasn't thinking about it during meditation. Like once I finished those things, I was like, whatever is the next thing I need to do, I'll just, it'll come to me and I'll do it. I go to my desk. I'm like, oh, that's what I should do. And I sat down. I did it. I completed it. Sent it off to whoever I need to send it off to. And then kids woke up and I was present with them for coming here. And, you know, today was a, it was, it was a successful morning. Is it going to be successful tomorrow? I can't guarantee it or the day after, but. I, I just know what I need to do. It's,
0: yeah. That's why it's a practice. It's, it's, not, it's not perfection. You got to do it every day.
2: Yeah. And then it's important not to like be yourself over the fact that you didn't do it. You know, it's, when it doesn't work out, I just I just try to let it go and come back to it the next day.
0: Yeah. That's, it took me forever to do that with meditation. I used to beat myself up. It's like, oh, why am I thinking? I'm not supposed to be thinking. And it's like, no, that's kind of the whole.
2: Or even if you don't feel like doing it, you know, like yeah. I go through a few days. Sometimes I just don't feel like it. and it's okay i just let it go and when i feel like it again
0: this is a very broad question with with no hard answer but do you have people who have been influential to you in your life um, could be through photography mindset methodology values whatever who who have shaped you to be the person that you are today
2: my wife (laughs) Good answer. Yeah. Uh, the thing The thing is, I know she's not going to listen to this because she never listens to anything that I do, and I I don't know. It's like this weird ritual between us. Like, she she stays out of it. She started her like spiritual journey, like you know, two three years ago, way before I did, and that has influenced me a shit ton, and I think has made me a better person. Even before like finding spirituality, just you know, she made me think about our emotions more and to talk things through instead of yelling at each other and really, you know, work on things together instead of like me versus you. Like we abandoned that mentality a very long time ago. And that has made not only our personal relationship, but our work life way, way better. So that would be my number one. Before you go on, I just
0: want to can you talk to me a little bit about what a spiritual journey means to you? Cause I think everybody has their own perspective of, of what that means.
2: You asked me that a, like a few months ago and I don't think I had a very clear answer. I don't know that I do necessarily today either, but yeah, it's just like learning to disassociate yourself from, you know, the, this identity that we've all assigned to ourselves. Like I'm a CEO, I'm a father, I'm this, I'm that. I think it's, I mean, we we do have to take on those identities and those forms in society, but it's just recognizing and giving that space between who we really are and you know all of those things, so that if you lose your job or you go bankrupt or you know things life happens, you know it it doesn't break you at your core because that's not that's not what life is, and you know I I don't think it's a religious thing. I think it's it, it, it's a little bit different from from religion yeah so just like being aware of your your existence and your you know what goes on in your head uh recognizing that the thoughts in your head are thoughts in your head and like anybody can do it anybody can recognize that they are thinking therefore there i think there's something behind that as well even if there's no scientific answer to it and i'm very scientific you know i think it's interesting to just ponder on it And as you do that, then you become more present or you pick up, you know, ways to just be more present with what you do and with who you are, which then in turn allows you to control your anxiety more and not get angry at, you know, small things. Like this morning, the the highway was closed, you know, where we needed to exit to come to the studio, took us on this huge detour. That stuff could not bother me any less like today. Uh, it's yeah so that's kind of like one of the practical ways that spirituality you know manifests itself yeah it's it's multifaceted and it's ever evolving, so ask me again in a few months I might have yeah, a different answer I
0: love it, I love it every time I talk to people who is like yourself or your wife or, or or my wife who has been going on a now eight year spiritual journey, everybody has a different answer, and I think outside looking in so many people when they hear those words, you know they think of. Oh, you're going on a, a religious pilgrimage or you're joining a church or you're doing something like that. And I think it's really starting to shift more. I think so.
2: I, yeah. I really feel like it's time for, you know, the, the world to view spirituality, uh, a little bit differently. Cause I'll admit, you know, even for me, like growing up or even in my twenties or early thirties, spirituality was like super hippie dippy thing, you know, that it's not scientific. Therefore it does not exist, but I'm proving to myself that. You know, it's not what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And everybody can have their own version of it. And that's totally fine. That's, that's the beauty of it. It's not anyone telling you how things should be or what they should be. I like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you a a pass on the other two influencers, unless you really want to go down it.
2: No, like, I mean, Ben and Aaron Christman, you know, were a huge influence in our photography and our desire to travel for weddings and finding our voice. I'm I, I think they agree, so I'm okay with saying that, but I think at first it started by copying them. And then at some point, you know, we, we saw the split and we turned the inspiration into our own, our own voice. And I'm glad we did. I think people do see a difference between their work and our work. And I know that we have differences as well. Uh, but they played a huge part in, in who we became as photographers.
0: Well, then you guys influence them with Max, which then led to Roxy. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's a good trade. Yeah. Okay. So just a couple of like last sort of rapid fire questions um, before we wrap up. What has been one of the best investments in, in your business? And this can be an investment of, of time or of money or people or whatever. But if you had to like narrow it down to a to a top one, what do you think has been one of the best investments? Let's just say for the image salon.
2: I think investing in like the local talent, uh, we obviously pay a lot more in salaries than, you know, we would by outsourcing overseas. But I don't think the Image Salon would have been as successful had we done the same formula that everybody else has been doing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people love that about the Image Salon too. Yeah,
2: as do I. Like I'll happily sacrifice, you know, more profit in exchange for this.
0: Um, how do you continue to learn to stay on top of things? You know, business changes, technology changes, everything else. Do you have a specific, are you a book reader? Do you, you know, look at Reddit or whatever? Is there something that you do to, to try to continue learning?
2: Oddly enough, Facebook. I mean, you know, we're all friends with so many photographers on Facebook. Like, you know, you open Facebook and it's maybe less so nowadays, but for the most part, it's, you know, photography talk. And yeah, even throughout this pandemic, I relied on discussions on Facebook to get a better sense of how things are going for everybody and what what's the state of the industry and where things are heading. I think just by listening to the information that's out there, uh, we gain a lot out of it.
0: Angie, do you have anything else that you want to ask before we, we go on to our last two?
1: I think this has been really comprehensive. <laughs> I've loved. I mean, I've loved especially as as a mother, like listening to you talk about finding harmony in your family life and work life. Uh, I think this is something that isn't talked about a ton, honestly, in the photography industry. I think there's a lot of team no kids photographers, uh, which is great, and they can really focus on their business and that kind of becomes their baby. But for those of us who are um, trying to do both things and do both things well, I think seeing people who are successful. Who have found harmony uh, is really inspiring. I was always on the train of thought that, you know, you can only do one thing at a hundred percent, and the more, you know, the more parents that I talk to who have successful careers, I'm finding that that's not necessarily the case.
2: I think you should always do things at a hundred percent when you're in the moment doing those things. Yes, but. Overall, I don't think it means that you, have, you only have room for one thing. You can do as many things as you want as long as you give it 100% when you're doing them. I think it's pointless to be with your kids, but think about your business or be with your business and think about your kids. I mean, that's a little extreme. Obviously I think about my kids when I work, but, <laughs> but you know, but I'm present with my work and I'm not anxious over the fact that I'm not with them and vice versa or else I'm doing a huge disservice to both. Right. And the same goes with anything else. If I'm mowing the lawn, I'm mowing the lawn. Like I'm sorry, but that's what I'm gonna be with. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just goes for everything.
0: All right. So one one last shameless self indulgent question for myself. Uh I hear that Davina is renoing an RV currently, and I was curious what the plan is for that, because I know you are a lover of road trips.
2: I think the first road trip will be out east to because Davina's cousin lives there. Uh, so to Nova Scotia, uh, that part, and then we're not sure yet to what extent, but there are talks of, you know, going on the road for an extended period of time and just, you know, sort of being, having a bit more of a nomadic lifestyle. Uh So head out west, cross through, you know, Alberta and D.C. and go south and yeah. Who knows what, where, but we you know, we've experienced it with our kids. And if that US border ever Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm not talking Why about like... Wait
1: till like
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Might want to wait till like after November if you're gonna go south. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying.
2: Or another four years and two months. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Depending on the outcome.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it's something that we really enjoy. We've gotten taste of it by doing a little RV trip in Iceland with Max a few years ago. We just loved it. Uh, and just by traveling with the kids, like we're just so much more present with them and with ourselves too when we travel. And now that we know how to work less, but more efficiently, I think the the RV lifestyle could lend itself well to you know keep working but be on the road as well
0: yeah abby and i were thinking about that for a while and i was definitely looking at like how to build an office into an rv and things like that <laughs> so that we could just live and work on the road
2: yeah i'm i'm confident we could make it work and we're, yeah, I, yeah. everybody's excited about it
0: okay so now you get to be shameless and, uh, where can people find you and your business? Just any, anything that you guys have going on right now that you want to plug. Uh, we like to support our friends. So
2: thank you. Um, well, the website is imagesalon.com and find us on Facebook just by searching image salon. Instagram is at img salon. My personal Instagram, if you just want to see what I'm up to, it's at Daniel Kudish and Davina's at Davina Kudish.
0: I'll I'll plug Davina's book for her. I'll put it in the show notes if anybody wants to get a great uh, children's book.
2: It's uh, called The Princess and the Dragon. Uh, You can search for it on Amazon or search by her uh, maiden name, which is Davina Palik. P-A-L-I-K. It's a wonderful book about a princess.
0: I got my copy. Can't wait to read it to my niece. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Angie, you want to take us out with that final question?
1: Yeah. So... Daniel, seeing as business is an adventure, what are your field notes or trail guide for a clear path to your destination? What would you tell people if they're embarking on their own business adventure?
2: I think the word adventure kind of sums it up. You know, just be ready for it to be an adventure and be open to anything that comes your way, be it positive or negative. I think it'll be a learning lesson. Even if in the moment it it sucks, uh, you'll get something out of it in the long run. Thanks so much for tuning into our show today. You can find
0: a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, as well as our show notes at businessasanadventure.co slash podcast.
1: You can find us on our Instagram at businessasanadventure.
0: We'd also love to see you in our Facebook community, where we provide weekly free education for our fellow adventurers. You can find the link in our show notes.
1: And finally, if you want to get a weekly, not spammy email from us with our favorite things we found in the business and creative world, you can sign up for our Field Note Fridays at businessasanadventureco slash fieldnotes.